0: Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. I hope it's a good day for you as you join me right here on this edition of Around with Randall. Today, we want to talk about love. And this all stems from my time and my experience in Easter Sunday services, and I'm not going to be spending a lot of time talking about Easter religion, but the sermon that day was talking about the concept of love and reminded me, at least in terms of some of the things I've studied along the way, is the concept of Greek love. So, to put this in context for whatever it's worth, when we think about love as at least the way we do today, we use that word in various ways, in various manners with different meanings, but it's the same four letter word. My best friends, two of which tell me and I tell them, hey man, I love you. That's different than what I tell my wife, yet it's the same word. And it's certainly different than the way I look at my children, or that I look at my parents, or that I look at the things that maybe I can make a difference with. The Greeks had a better way of looking at this. They actually had seven different words for the thought of the concept of love. And believe it or not, as I pondered, That service on Easter morning and what I do every day, I began to make connections to the nonprofit world, what we do in philanthropy. So let's start with just the word philanthropy. You've heard me say it. You probably have heard it from a million other places. If this is the first time, know that philanthropy doesn't mean money, philanthropy means love of mankind, love of humankind. So Inside of what we do every day in the nonprofit world is this concept of love based on just the pure ancient Greek or Latin definition that comes when you break the word apart. Philanthropy, love of mankind, love of humankind. I was, I'd like to say asked but I was told by my parents in, uh, I think it was 11th grade. So I was a junior in high school that I had to study Greek. Uh, in the Greek histories. And I went to a high school that had some of those kind of classes. I was very lucky, but it stuck with me. So I want to just take a second and talk about the seven different kinds of love that the Greeks articulated. And then I'm going to come back and connect them to philanthropy and maybe how this affects and helps you. So the first love, and they're in no particular order, is Eros, which is Romantic, passionate love, really of the body, is physical love. And if you need something to compare it to, you can think about any television show that uh, might have a love story or movie and has a love story in it. It's passion. Fillier is affectionate, friendly love. It's the kind of connection you make with others but it, 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 it's characterized by the loyalty and trust that you develop in the people you're closest to. It's an encouraging, totally platonic feeling for other people and other things, other people. Your friends are the ones, if you have great affection, my father has taught me over time, and he, he said it early on in my life, but I've come to believe it, that if you're lucky in life, you'll have one or two, maybe, maybe, three people that over the course of time will be your truest friends. Feel That platonic trust and affection you have and hope that they are in such good Places that you hope for them the very best. The third, Storge, which is unconditional familial love. This is the kind of love you have for your kids. The love I have for my children. That it's in some ways almost, Storge is almost one-sided. When I look at my kids while I love Father's Day and being remembered and getting a hug, I don't need it to be a dad. The love that I have doesn't need to be reciprocated by my children. I give it because it's what I view as a characteristic of me. Not better, not worse, just Randall. I think most parents feel that way. No, it's nice to gad. But at the end of the day, it's one-sided. Ludas is the, is the next kind of love. It's the breezy, fun, playful, flutterous kind of love. It's kind of the almost non-committal and that it's kind of that beginning stage of a relationship where there's infatuation and thought. Pragma. That's the committed long lasting forever. Love. Really, the easiest way to think about this is, and I think about my parents, and hopefully where I'm at in my marriage. It's those those decades long relationships that are so quintessential to life, and that you have forever, and that the love that it grows into wasn't the love it started with, but probably is deeper and more committed. Philote, excuse me, philotei. Pelotiae is self-love. This is the kind of love that the ancient Greeks actually saw as healthy, but can be construed as one who puts their own self-view maybe ahead of others. In some ways, we've taken this to an extreme because we think about mental health and the fact that we should love ourselves and take care of ourselves But in at least in America, we don't take all of our vacation. We, 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 we are amongst the longest working people in the world. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but what I'm saying is 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 that if you don't have an idea of what that health looks like, that can be a negative. But you take it to extreme, it can be a it can be a very strong problem. The one that I think is most important, that's the hardest to find to achieve. Is the thought process of agape love. The selfless, selfless, universal love that comes through empathy, through the ability to do it regardless of what comes back in return, what it means in terms of what you get out of it. It's a genuine concern for others. And it's really about serving others' needs and others in a way. That is profound. So we have these seven loves that are described in ancient Greek text. That in some ways our world we only use one word, but we use it in various ways. What does this have to do with philanthropy? I was doing a presentation recently for a client on the seven faces of philanthropy, which was the 1994 study done by Prince and File. That talks about how we categorize donors and the kind of communication they would want and what their perspectives are. And you get things like the investor or the dynast, the altruist, and you can read the, the information. In fact, I've done a podcast on the subject. And then I began to, in the back of my mind as I'm doing the presentation, coming keep coming back to my Sunday morning experience on Easter and the ideas of love. And what I realized is that if we could look at our donors in how they connect to us, how they love us, and how we love them, it begins to put into framework the kinds of people we interact with all the time. So I don't have a connection for Eros, which was the romantic, passionate love, other than those people who are literally without the physical so aligned with you that there's nothing you could do that would remove them from your or from their passion for your organization in some ways I almost think this is unhealthy because if you're doing something that uh isn't in the interests of the society or isn't a best uh idea of how to help others, these are people that never leave your side they kind of scare me a little bit to be honest. So I don't have a real good connection there, but filia is the next. That's the love of friend. These are our volunteers. Think about the people that come into our organization, and they are encouraging and affectionate, and they they they, they, they see themselves as a part of what you're trying to accomplish. It's a friendly love. It's a connection. I think about all of the people who have lost a spouse, particularly later on in life, and they come in and they volunteer. I think about the hospitals that I've worked in and certainly in the educational units I've worked in or educational schools where we have such a strong, older population of volunteers, in part because they have time, but in part because they're looking for connection. That affectionate, friendly love that comes from the camaraderie they have with each other and with the organization. Think about my dad and how he counts money at the church and the group of friends that he has every Tuesday at 1130 and how that's critical to him. Volunteering is affectionate love, friendly love, connective love. Sorge, which is that unconditional familial love. In some ways, I view this like planned giving. People who aren't looking for something in return because most planned gifts, there isn't anything because they're already gone. They've left you and identified you as someone that affiliates with the value set that they have in connection to your mission or to the people in your organization or both. It's one-sided. They didn't need something in return. And the most powerful group of plan giving people that express the Sorge kind of love is the ones that don't tell you much about their estate giving, and they die and pass, and all of a sudden you get a letter from a lawyer saying, um, "You know, you had they you were in their estate." These are remarkable people because, like a parent, they just wants what's best for you. Ludas, which is that. Flirtatious, playful kind of love. I think this is the kind of connection we have with people who first identify with us as a place they connect with. It's fun. It's playful. It's joyous. It's full of possibilities. I have felt this way. And this is maybe not about volunteering, but in terms of the work I do. In almost every job I've had those first few months, I remember the emotion. I don't remember the duties. I don't remember the tasks, but I remember the feeling when I started at Rockhurst and at the Academy at St. Thomas and at the medical center, even though things were challenging and difficult and kind of crazy in every one of those examples, except for Rockhurst. There was such connection about the possibilities. And in some ways, my consulting is that way every day, how do I help others? This is exciting. It's new every day. My hope is, is that in this way, as in people who are volunteers or employees who are listening to this podcast and who are engaged in nonprofit work. And then that, most importantly, of the philanthropists who make the difference. I hope they feel this kind of love all the time. Endless possibilities. Almost a sense of walking on clouds that we can make a difference in the world. And the joy that comes with that. Pragma. Well, uh, this is the committed, the long-lasting, forever love we associate sometimes with uh, spouses or partners who are together for, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. This is your longtime donors and your longtime volunteers. They never leave you. We know statistically that the most likely plan giving donors are the ones who are the most consistent donors over time, not the largest, the most consistent. So there's been st- a recent study out of Texas tech. Dr. Russell branded one. And then we also have the work that Stelter does. Both have said the exact same thing long time consistent donors. Why is that? Pragma love. They've begun to associate their existence with what you do. And maybe they volunteer. Maybe they're just a donor. Maybe they were a student. Maybe they were a patient. Maybe they were engaged in some way, shape, or form as a board member or volunteer. They were a long time, and the the, the alignment of values has now existed. And the betterment of both. Is, can be seen at least through their eyes, through the relationship they have with you or that nonprofit. Philotier, self love. These are the individuals I think of that I've had conversations where it feels like we're selling a naming opportunity rather than making a nonprofit gift. It's not that their heart's not in the right place. Cause it is, they're making the gift to make that naming opportunity possible. But sometimes we feel as if we're talking more about the naming opportunity than the value of the gift. It doesn't mean they're bad people, just like the Greek said about taking care of yourself. But at the end of the day, they may not be the ones who are the most, which we'll get to in a moment, transformational. They're more transactional. But yet they play an important part in our possibilities philanthropically. The final one is agape. And you've heard me talk about it. It's number one still in the nonprofit world. Uh, the book, which I will show right here, because I always keep copy on my desk by Nathan Chappelle and Brian Crimmins, The Generosity Crisis. The fact that we have fewer donors and we should be looking for transformational, radical relationships. That's agape love. That. They have a genuine concern for others, and that your organization can help provide some of the answers for that, and thus they love you for what you do, and what you do for others. It's serving others. It's wholeness and completeness. It's empathy. It's empathy for others' plights. It's selfless in what they're trying to accomplish. What I'd like to advocate today is is that while all these other loves. Are, at least most, are connected in some way to philanthropy. If we could think about agape love more often in philanthropy and nonprofits, in the work we do with others, and get others to think about it as well, if possible, to figure out how they are agape with us, agape in love with what we do with the effects that we have, with the things that need to be done to make our communities and people's lives better, then we get more transformational moments of gift opportunities. And I'm not putting a dollar figure on it. Transformational giving for one person may be $5. For someone else, it may be $5 million. If you're a millionaire, very wealthy and you give $5, that's not agape love. That may be another kind of love. It might be the connection you have or just the affiliate, which is affectionate. Like, oh, I need to help or that it's self-love. Like I feel an obligation. If we could get to agape love more often with our prospects, donors, volunteers, people most connected to us, that we recognize their ability even if there's not a connection to the, to the ones that are benefiting that they are passionate about helping this selfless idea of others, we will move philanthropy forward to higher levels because it's agape love that gets us to those transformational conversations and thoughts. If that's what you do every day, You will spend a lifetime in this profession, either giving that kind of love and gifts or being the conduit, connecting those who can do it to organizations and missions you believe in and they believe in together. An interesting way of looking at philanthropy, the love of mankind, through a little bit of Greek love. And if nothing else, maybe this gives you just something to think about as we move here into the spring. Don't forget, check out the blogs, com. If you'd like to reach out to me, that's podcast at, at com. And don't forget, what you do is important. It's critical. Hopefully, you're having your personal and appropriate love affair with your nonprofit, whether as an employee, a donor, a volunteer, or whatever you do, because our world needs more agape love, really any kind of love. For others, some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. Those who want to make things happen are loving their world, love of mankind, philanthropy, and hope you find yourself thinking about that, finding others that also think about it, and then mirroring the two together to do great things for the community and the things, the community that are most important. And that's a good way to spend a life and a career. I'll look forward to talking with you next time. Right back here on around with Randall. And don't forget, make it a great day.